Good morning. My name is Mike Mathis, and I have the privilege of serving here on staff with Redeemer. So if this is your first time, I just want to say welcome. We're really glad that you are here, and it's not an accident or by chance that any of us are here in this room today. So I'm really excited that we get to continue in the Gospel of John this morning that we have been in for a while now. And so I just want to remind us, the purpose of this gospel we find in chapter 20, when John tells us that all of the things that he included in this gospel are so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, we would have life in his name. So let's remember that as we're looking in God's word this morning, this gospel. So in recent weeks, we've been looking through the past couple of passages of what we call the upper room discourse. This begins in John 13, where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then from 14 to 17, these are Jesus' final words to his disciples before he goes to the cross. The last things that he gives to them to hear before that moment. So we've seen him wash their feet. We've heard uh, Pastor Morgs preach recently that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father except through him. We're going to see this morning that abiding in Jesus' love means that you have the Father's love. We're reminded that he gives us, he sends us the Holy Spirit that we need. And as we just heard, as Angie Brown just read for us, that we're going to look at what that means to abide in Jesus's love this morning, that he is the true vine. So let's pray to the Lord now that he would open our eyes to behold Jesus this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that your word is true that you have revealed yourself to us through your word, that we can know what you're like because we look at Jesus. We thank you that you sent us, Jesus, that we may have life. Father, would you help us to behold him this morning? By your spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe? We need you. We pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the time of year for several different things. We just heard Pastor Joe praying for, for some of us that may mean travel. Some of you are about to be leaving, maybe you're trying to escape the heat. It's another part of this time of year, isn't it? I was reading yesterday that I think Elaine was supposed to hit 50 degrees today. Pretty warm. So I I know some people travel, maybe you're going to see family. Some of you are maybe heading to the Southern Hemisphere where it's winter. But I know some of you, maybe you were moving. Maybe, maybe you're heading back to where you're from. This is, right, it, it, that's the time of year that we're in. Hot weather, AC. It's also the time of year for graduations. And so graduation, if we think about it, students have completed a course of study wherever, wherever they're going to school. And then it, a graduation signifies that they've finished, they've completed. It's a bit of a celebration So a few weeks ago, we in our youth ministry got to celebrate seven of our seniors who graduated. 
We got to hear if they're going on to university, whether that is here. I know some are actually, um, even now, traveling to another hemisphere to go to university. We got to celebrate with them that they finished. And then I know several of you in here a few weeks ago joined us out in Rack for our Gulf Theological Seminary graduation. We're even, in fact, three of our, our members here received master's degrees. It was a wonderful celebration to get to see what the Lord had done, what they had learned, and the impact. Uh, I, I know on social media you can see like a, a video recap of, of that. But that's, we get to celebrate this time of year graduations as students finish. And graduations can imply that it's the end of one thing and the beginning of something else. That could be moving on to university if you graduate high school. That may be preparing you for a job that you're about to take. But it signifies that you finish something and normally you're moving on to something next. It's preparation. And we're going to see today that Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was coming. He had told them that he was going to be crucified, but they didn't understand that quite yet. They certainly didn't understand why he had to do that. But he was preparing them for what was to come. So as we're going to look at this idea of abiding today, we're going to think about what that means. Another way to think about it is remaining. It's another synonym for that, a translation for that, remain. So here's our big picture today that I want us to think about. This is it. Abide, remain in Jesus, for in him you will truly find life. And as we consider abiding in Jesus, we're going to see two main things. That abiding in Jesus is necessary to be fruitful for the Christian. We're also going to see that we abide in Jesus when we abide in his love. So let's look at point number one, why abiding in Jesus is necessary to be fruitful. Look at verse one with me. This first verse starts by, Jesus says, I am the true vine. It's just the first half of the verse, but there's so many things we need to take a look at here because what we're gonna see here informs the rest of this passage. This is the last of Jesus' I am statements, and that's significant that we see in the Gospel of John. If we look back to Exodus, Exodus 3, when God appears to Moses and tells him he is going to send him to, back to Egypt to bring Israel out, he says, who am I to tell them who sent me? And God says, I am. So when Jesus says this, it reveals who he is. That he is God in the flesh. And so what were these? Jesus has said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. And now I am the true vine. He is God made flesh, the eternal son of God. But Jesus, look back at this verse, Jesus saying, I am the true vine, would tell first century listeners here is that he's referring to Israel here. Jews reading or hearing this would know that he was talking about Israel and referring to the Old Testament. So to understand this, we need to zoom out a little bit. Remember, the Bible is one story. 
It is 66 books, various authors in different time periods, different places, different languages, but it's one book with one story. Scripture testifies this repeatedly. A few weeks ago, Dr. Adam Brown showed us that, a beautiful picture of, of what it means that the Lord loves us and all these pictures of meaning at a well. We saw He showed us in Genesis and Exodus and then John. Repeatedly, the Bible shows us it's one story of a good, holy God who is actively working to redeem a people for himself because of our sin that ultimately points to Jesus who will return to restore all things. It's one story. So let's, I want us to real quick, you, don't, you can flip there if you want to Psalm 80, but I'm going to read this. You can just listen. Psalm 80 says this, verses 7 through 9. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took deep root and filled the land. Israel was a vine that God saved. The, the salvation moment of the Old Testament, the exodus that God brought out and planted in the land, a vine. But as we see, the Old Testament testifies that it bore bad fruit. We can look at Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2 and Ezekiel repeatedly. The prophets say, you bore wild grapes because it was idolatry. They rebelled against the Lord, their sin. And as Israel had, God had promised Israel in Deuteronomy, he sent them into exile to Babylon. Israel was a vine planted in a vineyard, but it failed. And so God uprooted the vine, took him into exile. And Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, and therefore I am the true Israel. He is the son who obeys his father's will. And blessing is now found in Jesus and not in Israel. This also shows, we see this throughout the Gospel of John, points to what we call the new covenant. These I am statements, Jesus is showing his divinity and his authority. We look at John 2, Jesus turned water into wine. Right? He is the true temple. We know the Old Testament and Jeremiah and Ezekiel say that we will have the spirit to write the law in our hearts. It will be given hearts of flesh and remove our hearts of stone. John 3, Jesus says, you must be born again. That's, that's what we see here. He is the one who perfectly fulfills the law and the prophets. In other words, Jesus was the better Israel. He's the true vine. That's so important to understanding the rest of what we're looking at here. Let's look back now at verse 1. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So let's look at this metaphor real quick. Um, there's an American author named Wendell Berry who writes, he, he lived in rural parts of America, and he, calls the, he was a Christian. He calls the Bible an outdoor book. That there's these uh, pictures from creation that help us understand what God's saying. Because, let's face it. Too often, we're not intelligent enough to understand what God's trying to tell us, so he gives us pictures to understand. Now, I'm not from an agricultural background. I'll admit that. I know some of you are, and even some of you that aren't. You have plants growing outside your house. It's beautiful. It's not how I am. My wife and I used to joke that, right, that plants come to our house to die. We struggle with that. But first century readers here would have known exactly what he's talking about. You can still see plants. Take a tree, right? You see the trunk. You see branches coming out, and you know that the branch depends on that trunk. 
So the vine dresser here, the father, is essentially the gardener taking care of that vine. And what do we see here? He removes bad branches and prunes the good ones. And what Jesus is saying here is those that do not bear fruit are not his disciples. So pruning here, in other words, can be seen as cleansed, purified, nurtured, right? It's a caring thing, even if there's a cutting to it. So why? Why pruning? Look at verse 2 with me. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So we know the fruits of the Spirit from Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. But we're also going to see fruit here as fruit that expresses its love for Jesus. Joy, joy, prayer, that we can go to our Father in prayer. We see that here. Why? Because we have Jesus. A willing obedience. Ultimately, worship is the other fruit we're going to see. Now, pruning is painful, but it's necessary for the growth and the health of the vine. So what goes into pruning? What does it do? The idea is you take away unwanted branches. So these vines would grow up, they grow out, and they take away unwanted branches. And so uh, if some of the branches, if they have leaves that fall, well, the next year they may not bear grapes. And so you cut away, right? Pruning is better. You cut away those branches either that are dead or that inhibit new growth. The purpose is to make it healthier. Promote new growth structure so it doesn't grow in an unhealthy way and it produces more fruit over time. Cutting away is essential to its health. So I want to give you an example. In the house we lived in in Texas, there's a bush. Some people call it a, a tree because it's can get kind of tall. It's more like a bush to me, but it's called a crepe myrtle. And we have one on the side of our house. Now, we've had them before, but this house had one that it just looked strange. It didn't look right. And we weren't sure what was going on. Was it dying? Well, my mother-in-law went out and cut it a lot, like this far from the ground, all the branches. We, we didn't know what was going on with it. And you know what? In a short amount of time, those things shot up. I mean, within two or three months, it was taller than our house. It wasn't in good health because it needed to be pruned. That's what it needed. And so it's for our good. It's for our good from our loving Father. So what does it look like for the Christian? Pruning is painful. For some of us, that could be confession of sin. Because that's painful at first. It's hard. But we know that putting that in the light is for our good. It might be ordained suffering. That could be from friends or family. That could be from sickness. I mean, we're talking, right, about COVID right now in a pandemic. It could be from that. It could be actual persecution. So a lot of things that this could happen. Jesus tells us that, right, it could be personal loss of someone dear to us. We know the Christian life is hard. Jesus tells us it will be, but... This ordained suffering, this discipline, is meant to draw us to the Lord. Remember this. Even in your suffering and your difficulty, you were if you're a Christian, you were just as connected to the vine in that moment as you are when things are going well. Pastor Sam Albury has said this when it comes to pruning, that the blade is sharp. 
but the hands that hold it are soft. God is glorified when we worship him for the blessings he give us, but how great does the Lord look when we can worship him even in our difficulties and suffering? So I want to I give a point of warning here, right? Those branches that don't bear fruit are removed. They're dead wood, and spiritually speaking, spiritually dead. So I want look back at verse 2. I think we see here it's possibly close to Jesus and not actually attached to the vine. Look at verse 2 again. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. If we're not careful, we read and say, oh, that sounds like you can be a Christian attached to the vine. You don't bear fruit and you fall away. We know that you, Scripture tells us you cannot lose your salvation. God himself elects and calls and redeems you. He does all the saving, which means he's going to hold you. John 6 says this, 37 to 39, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given me, but raise up in the last day. Jesus saves you, so he keeps you. So it has to be something else. It seems that you can be close to Jesus and not actually know him. Just think about Judas. Judas was here. Jesus washed his feet. We can be close to Jesus and not ever abide in the vine. So you can grow up in the church hearing about Jesus, singing about Jesus, talking about Jesus, and never know Jesus should be a warning, but friend, be assured if you are in the vine, the Spirit will give you assurance of that. You will see fruit. There will be evidence. He will give you assurance of that. So let's look, look now at verse 4. So we know that he's the true vine. The Father is the vine dresser. And now we get to abiding in verse 4. Look at verse 4 with me. Abide in me and I in you. So what does he mean by abide here? So sometimes we hear this word and we actually think of this passage. So what does it mean? Other ways you could say abide would be remain, to continue, to stay. It is continuing to be close to Jesus, attached to Jesus. So he's telling his disciples, abide, remain, continue, once again, why is he telling them this now? Because he's about to go to the cross. They're going to be confused. They're going to need him. Abide in Jesus. And as his disciples, that applies to us as well. If you are in Christ, abide in Jesus. For apart from him, you can do nothing. You can bear no fruit. You have no life apart from him. He's the vine. The vine supplies life to the branch. Think about it. You can't be a branch on your own and expect to live. I need to find a vine or a tree to attach to. But rather, the, the tree, the trunk, or the vine then produces the branch. It is the life source. Jesus is the life source for the branch. Many of us here in Dubai find it hard to stay, <laughs> abide in one place. We can't live here permanently, even though I know some of you have been here a really long time. For most of us, a lot of us, it's not going to be long, 
And we know that some of us will be moving on in a year or two, and we don't even know that yet. That's just Dubai. So this word can also be seen as to live, to dwell, to last. And so even though your life circumstances change, I know some of you are moving back to your home country very, very soon. But you still need to abide in Jesus. That's the encouragement here. When your life circumstance changes, when your accommodation changes, when your health, your job changes, you still need to abide. And he, if he saves you, attaches you to the vine. Abiding is for Christians. This word abide here is plural. It's for the disciples and therefore for all of us. So this is, we as Christians, we can believe in something that we refer to as past grace. That Jesus, 2,000 years ago, died for my sins, and when I believe, I am saved. Yes and amen. And we can believe in future grace, that he will return to make all things new, to wipe away all tears, and we will dwell with him forever. Yes. But do we remember how much we need grace and abiding right now? We can tend to think that God saves us he forgives our sin. Yes, now it's up to us. That's not true. That scripture says you need Jesus every day. You need him right now. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in his love now, Christian. Because you're, you're already clean. You have his word. Cling to him. Abide in him now. And all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, all of us abide in something. All of us, because of the fall of sin, we are tempted to find Jesus substitutes, aren't we? That could be your job. That could be family, a spouse, your children, another romantic relationship. It could be your money, your possessions, comfort, right? It could be substance, all of these things. Think about social media for a minute. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Social media can be a really wonderful tool. It can. There's so much good that it can do. But the caution here is that it can be alluring. That you can remake yourself. That you can show yourself to the world how you want to be. And it whispers to you that you are your own vine but you're not. If we're honest, we look here, we're not. Because apart from Jesus, the true vine, we're actually dead, right? We cannot have life apart from him. These Jesus substitutes are idols. So are you abiding in him? You will abide in something. So abide in Jesus. He's always better than anything the world can ever offer you. So treasure his word, store it up in your heart, meditate in the scripture, go to him in prayer, knowing that because you're attached to Jesus, our good father hears us. Get as close as you can to him and stay there. And then we see that abiding in Jesus is essential to have life, and therefore, it's essential to bear fruit. That's what Jesus is telling us here. Friend, if you are in the vine, your fruit's guaranteed. It's going to look different for us different seasons, what that looks like, but if you're attached to the vine, there will be evidence. This union with Christ means that it will happen. He won't let it not happen. Look at verse 8 with me. It's evidence. 
Verse 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, do we have a part in this? Yes. We abide in Christ. We seek to walk in a way that brings him glory. We seek to grow in these areas, still knowing that God alone brings the growth. He is the only one who can do that because Jesus is the vine. But for those who are not, those branches are thrown to the fire. It's evidence they're not actually in Christ. But if you are, there will be evidence. You'll bear fruit. He will make sure of it. So take heart to Christian. He will hold you. This leads us now to our second point. We abide in Jesus by abiding in his love. Look at verse 9 with me now. Verse 9 says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We abide, we remain in Jesus' love. The Father has loved him, so we abide in his love. Has anyone ever told you that? That Jesus loves you just because he loves you. Not because you've cleaned yourself up. Not because you've somehow accomplished something great. Jesus loves you because that's who he is. He loves his sheep so we can abide in his love. And friend, when you understand that, that sets you free. You are free to love him, to honor him with your life. It's liberating. And it's shown in our obedience. We can freely obey him because our affections have changed. We want to do that. Jesus then speaks of joy. Let's keep looking here. Joy. He says these things so his disciples would have his joy, Jesus' joy, and that it may be full. This is not a happiness where you have a good feeling, and when you leave, there's traffic, and then it's over. This is a rooted, lasting joy that the circumstances of life cannot take from you. It's only found in Jesus. You can't find it anywhere else. You can't buy it. In his love, you will find it, though, because we abide in him. We stay close to him. We cling to him. We run to him. We treasure him. This evidence here that Jesus gives also of abiding in his love is if we keep his commandments. We can't do this on our own. Pastor Morgs last week reminded us, you cannot save yourself. You need the spirit to produce these things in you. You can't save yourself. We need the vine for this. And so look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10 says this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Let's look at verse 11 now. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Friends, this is joyful obedience. This is not begrudging obedience. Those in Christ, our obedience brings joy. We willingly obey our Savior. And what is the commandment? Verse 12, love one another as I have loved you. Right? gives us the true example of laying down your life for your friends. It reminds us of John 12 where Jesus says, if a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it will bear fruit. And what he's about to do is just that for his people, for his sheep, for his disciples, laying down his life for his friends. Jesus came as God in the flesh. 
He lived the life that we couldn't live because of our sin and our rebellion and went to the cross willingly to die the death that all of us deserved. Raised in victory on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and that by, friend, by believing, by repenting of your sin and trusting in him, you're saved. That is grace. That is love. That is our only hope. And then look at 14 and 15. Something remarkable happens here. Look at 14 and 15. Jesus calls his disciples his friends. This is what it says. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. If you were in Christ, Jesus calls you friend. Let that sink in. If you're in Christ, being Jesus' servant is enough for us, isn't it? He is the Alpha, the First, the Messiah, the one through whom and for whom all things were created, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, the eternal Son who's seated at the right hand of God. He's the Omega, the Last, who, the, the Lamb who was slain, who will return to restore all things, wipe every tear from our eyes, and make all things new, that we will dwell in his presence forever. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who laid down his life for his sheep, and we were his enemies. We hated him. We were spiritually dead, no hope, so to be his servant is enough for us. And serving Jesus is something we can do with joy and gratitude. Yet, he calls us his friends. When you trust in Jesus, he calls you friend. It's just stunning. He chose us to bear fruit, and then he calls us friends. If you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, turn to him. Abide in his love and be called friend. And as friends of Jesus who abide in the vine, our fruit will remain. He tells us that. It will remain. It's guaranteed. We have a father in prayer that we can go to. All these benefits because we abide in the vine. And we abide in his love Enjoy obedience, love, knowing that he's the true vine and the only one that, in whom we find life. And by abiding in the vine, we bear fruit and bring glory to the Lord. We considered at the beginning how graduations can be preparation for something next. We talked about that Jesus was preparing his disciples for what was to come. The cross, the resurrection, the ascension to the Father, and yet we never graduate from Jesus. Never. We never graduate from Jesus and move on to something else. Christians depend on the vine. We never graduate from Jesus. I had a seminary professor say this, that Jesus is both the means and the goal of our sanctification. 
as we're made more and more and more into his image. He's the means, meaning he has saved us and given us his spirit that we would be made more like him. But we don't move past him. He's the goal. When we're made more like him, we abide in him, we get more of Jesus. That's what we want. He's both the means and the goal. Friend, abide in Jesus. Remain in Jesus for there you will find love, joy, and you in Jesus, you will truly find life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. We thank you, we praise you for Jesus, the word become flesh, the true vine. We need him, Lord. Help us to abide in him today. Help us to abide in him tomorrow. Help us to abide in him forever. Oh, Lord, we need him. We are nothing apart from him. Help us to abide. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.